Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Day of Atonement as we pick up in Numbers chapter 29, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 29. Beginning in chapter 28, Moses gave to them the various sacrifices that were to be offered every day. And then the sacrifices that were to be offered on the Sabbath day, the extra sacrifices on the Sabbath day, And then the extra sacrifices even more that were on the first day of every month. And then the sacrifices that should be offered during the feast of the Passover and then during the feast of Pentecost. Now as we get into chapter 29, he deals with the sacrifices that are to be offered in the seventh month of the year. Now, you're well aware by now that the number seven is a very significant number as far as the Bible goes. And thus, the seventh month was a special month. It is the month of October, approximately in our calendar, for our calendar differs some from the Jewish calendar, which they, of course, have a spiritual calendar more or less in a secular calendar and their spiritual calendar begins in the month of April so that makes October their seventh month and it was to begin the first day of that month with the blowing of trumpets and with extra sacrifices beyond the daily sacrifices those extra sacrifices are given for us at the beginning of chapter 29 And then he goes on to the sacrifices that would take place on the 10th day of the seventh month, which was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the special sacrifices on that day. It is interesting to note that on Yom Kippur, the high priest would do all of the sacrificing himself. Now, during the rest of the time, The other priests were usually offering the sacrifices. But on Yom Kippur, it was the high priest that would offer all of the sacrifices, and so he was a very busy man on this particular day because there are some 34 animals that he had to butcher and sacrifice on Yom Kippur. And this he had to do by himself. There was to be no helpers for him on Yom Kippur. Uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, which, of course, was to bespeak of the work of Jesus Christ in making atonement for us, that he had to do it alone. There was really none to help him. It was something that was necessary that he do alone for us. Then on the seventh month, they had a special feast, the Feast of Sukkoth or booths are also called the Feast of Tabernacles uh, as they remembered their wilderness experience and living in tents. And this Feast of Tabernacles went for eight days. And on each of the days of the feast over, well, one day there was only 25 animals offered, another one 28, but most of the time over 30 animals were offered on these uh, days of 
the eight days of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so these are all given each day how many of what kind of animals were to be offered through chapter 29. It has very little to do with us except that it makes us appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ was offered for our sacrifice once and for all. There are interesting parallels to be made with the high priest going in with the sacrifice of the animal for the atonement for the people to be contrasted. Of course, he had to first of all make sacrifice for his own sins before he could make the sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And the contrast is with Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who made one sacrifice and for all. It was necessary that the high priest go in every year. But Jesus, having once offered himself, has sat down forever at the right hand of the Father, waiting until the promise be fulfilled that his enemies be made his footstool waiting until all things are brought into subjection unto him. And so the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ compared with the yearly annual sacrifices for sin, the atonement that was made for the nation, and there are tremendous contrasts to be made which are made for us in the book of Hebrews. And so having now gone through the book of Leviticus and Numbers again, it would be very helpful for you to go through the book of Hebrews and you'll understand it much more clearly now that you've had this background in Leviticus and Numbers with all of these offerings and sacrifices and all that were made and you realize what Christ has done for us more completely. So in verse 39, these things ye shall do unto the Lord in your set feast beside your vows and your free will offerings for your burnt offerings and your meal offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. So these other offerings, the burnt offerings, peace offerings, were all individual kind of offerings. These were all above the, these that have been commanded here in chapter 29. Now as we get into chapter 30, we are dealing with the law of vows. When you make a promise unto God, God takes it seriously. And God expects you to keep your vow. God is not an Indian giver, and he doesn't want you to be an Indian giver. He doesn't want you to make a vow or a promise and then break it. In fact, in the Bible it said, it's better not to vow at all than to vow and to break it. Now, let it be known that God doesn't require you to make vows. Vows are something that a person does voluntarily. God doesn't demand that you make a vow of certain things unto him. A vow is always something that is done on your part, purely voluntarily. It is, it is something that people often do. I promise that I'm going to Give to God this, that, or the other, or I promise I'm going to do this for God. Lord, I make a vow with you, you know, and I'm going to do this and all. God doesn't require it. And it's better not to do it than to do it and break it. 
If you make a vow unto the Lord, it is very important that you keep that vow. And so chapter 30 actually deals with the vows that are made unto the Lord. And if a man vows a vow unto the Lord, verse 2, and swears an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to that which has proceeded out of his mouth. Now if a woman also vows a vow unto the Lord and binds herself with a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, her father, if he hears it, can disannul it. Now, a, a young girl living in her father's house could make a vow unto God. And if her father is there and hears the vow, he has the capacity of disallowing it. But if he hears it and doesn't disallow it, then the vow is to stand. In other words, he, he hears it, he doesn't disallow it. It means that it is binding now, and she must keep that vow to the Lord. We have uh, in the Old Testament cases where vows were made which were very unfortunate. They were, they were you might say, bad vows. Quite often when a person was going into an uncomfortable situation, he vowed, Lord, if you will help me, you know, win this battle, then I will. Uh, Jephthah said, Lord, if you will give me victory over the enemy, then I will offer unto you as a sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. What a tragic thing. His daughter, virgin daughter, was the first thing to come out of his house to greet him in his victory when he came home. And, and it was just a horrible vow. It had been better that he never make that kind of a vow. It was a, it was a ridiculous vow, actually. Saul was guilty of, of a ridiculous vow. When Jonathan woke up early one morning and feeling just really great, Looking around, finding the rest of the army still asleep, he woke up his armor bearer, and he said, you know, I've just been lying here thinking, maybe the Lord wants to give the Philistines into the, into the hands of Israel today. And if the Lord wants to give the Philistines into the hands of Israel, he doesn't need the whole army. He could deliver the Philistines into the hand of two people as well as the whole army. Doesn't matter to God. If he wants to defeat the Philistines today, he doesn't need the whole army. He can just do it with a couple of us. So let's go over and see if the Lord wants to deliver the Philistines today. <laughs> and so Jonathan and his armor bearer got up and they slept out of the camp and they headed over to the camp of the Philistines. Jonathan said, now this is risky business. We want to make sure that God, God's in this thing and he wants to deliver them. So when we get close to the Philistines, if they say to us, hey, you guys, come up here and we'll show you a thing or two, then we'll know that God wants to deliver them and we'll, you know, take off after them. But if they say, hey, you guys, you wait down there and we're going to come down and show you a thing or two, then we'll know that God isn't going to deliver the Philistines today and we'll get back to camp just as fast as we can. <laughs> sort of a venture in faith. <laughs> I love them. So Jonathan and his armor bearer headed over towards the Philistines. When they got close, the Philistines 
the, the sentries spotted them and they said, hey, you guys, come up here. We'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan said, all right, man, that's what we're looking for. So he and his armor bearer scrambled up the hill, the scripture said. They were anxious to get to those guys. Man, they jumped into the camp of the Philistines and they began to smite those guys. The Philistines began to fall back from before them. They began to retreat. And over on the other side of the hill, or the other side of the valley, on the hill on the other side, Saul woke up. Rubbing his eyes, he looked over to the camp of his enemies and he saw the Philistines in disarray and running and two guys in the middle wiping them out. <laughs> and Saul said, quickly, number, who's missing? And so they counted off and they said, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Saul made a foolish vow. He said, cursed be the man who eats anything today until Saul has been avenged of all of his enemies. Foolish vow. Cursing, putting a curse upon anybody who would eat anything that day until Saul had been avenged of his enemies. So it's better not to make vows, really. But some people like to make them. Makes you feel better or something. So if you make them, make sure you keep them. But with a man, you make a vow and that's it. It's binding. But with a young girl living at home, she makes a vow. It's not binding. Except her father, let it go. If he hears it and doesn't say anything, then it becomes a binding vow. Now the same is true if a, if a girl is engaged to a husband and he hears the vow that she makes. He is able also to disallow that vow. But if a widow or a divorced woman makes a vow, then they are bound to that vow. And then a married woman making a vow, her husband can disallow it. He can say, oh, no, you don't do that. You know, she can say, well, I'm going to give our house to the Lord. He says, oh, no, you don't. So the husband can disallow the vow that the wife makes. If he doesn't, then it becomes a binding vow. Uh, so the law of vows here in the 30th chapter of Numbers. Then as we get into Numbers chapter 31, the Lord orders the destruction of the Midianites, avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites, afterward thou shalt be gathered to your people. So this was to be sort of the final act of Moses. They are just about ready to enter into the land that God has promised. And God orders the avenging against the Midianites who actually created a problem with the children of Israel, uh, Balak the king, uh, sending the girls into the camp, causing the children of Israel to commit fornication and idolatry. And so now God is taking out judgment against the Midianites for those actions. And so Moses ordered a thousand men from each of the tribes to arm themselves for battle. And so there were a thousand from each of the tribes, 12,000 men armed for war that came to Moses 
And they were ordered to go in against the cities of the Midianites. Now Eliezer was the high priest. His son Phineas went with the armies to fight against the Midianites. And the Lord delivered the Midianites into the hands of these 12,000 men. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed all of the males. And this also included this prophet, Balaam. Now you remember in the first prophecy that Balaam had uttered over the children of Israel, he said, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last days be as his. That request wasn't granted. He did not die the death of the righteous. Balaam was guilty of greed. He allowed that greed to master him. And allowing the greed to master his life, he removed himself from the place of God's blessing. And rather than dying the death of the righteous, he was slain when the children of Israel conquered over the Midianites. Balaam also was slain. So they took the women of Midian as their captives and the little ones, and they took the spoil of all of their cattle, their flocks, and their goods. They burnt the cities where they were living and all of the beautiful castles with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both of the men and beasts, and they brought the captives and the spoil. Now Moses was angry with the officers of the army and the captains over the thousands and the captains over the hundreds which had come from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have you saved all of the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel, and here we have it, through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, which, and there was the plague among the congregation of the Lord. Therefore, kill all of the male babies and all of the women who are not virgins. You can save the little girls and the virgins alive, but the rest of them are to be slain because these are the women that were used in this subterfuge to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. Now at this point, it should be noted that there are many people who have difficulty with the Old Testament, and especially in, in the areas where we are going to be entering into next as we get into Joshua and Judges, and into the kings and all. People have difficulty with the orders for extermination of the people. How is it that God would order that they totally wipe out a nation, the children and all, the women and the children in many cases? In some cases, even the animals, everything was to be obliterated. How is it that God would order such an extermination? 
When they came into the land, they weren't to make a league or a covenant, a treaty with any of the peoples within the land. They were to utterly destroy them or drive them out. Why would God command such a thing? In order to understand these commands, it would, of course, be necessary to understand a little bit about the culture of these people and especially their religious practices. In all of the history of the world, there were probably, these people were probably living on a, the lowest kind of moral levels that man ever lived. Every kind of sin you could possibly imagine was practiced by these people. Marriage vows were nothing. They lived as animals. And even to the point of bestiality as a common practice. Their manner of living was so polluted and so corrupted that it was impossible that they could survive. They believed in human sacrifice and offered their children as sacrifices unto their gods. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 29 through 31 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you this week. May He watch over your lives and keep you in His love. May there just be that rich flowing forth in and from your life as God works in you, His perfect work of love. May God grant that you have just a special week of enjoying the goodness and the fullness of God and His love. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.